Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way. Love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, along with my absent daughter and co-host Lauren Simone, and welcoming you to another session of self-coaching, where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Well, I, I, I have to apologize. I thought Lauren would be here this week, but Something else has come up. It's important, so I'm not not taking uh, any stance on this other than to tell you that she has absolutely convinced me that she will return next week. So if you are tuning in because of Lauren and and are very, very disappointed with your co-host, me, uh, I apologize, but bear with me. I'm going to go through some self-coaching tips that you know you might find useful. So uh, don't abandon, you know, this podcast, be, you know, like rats abandoning a sinking ship. Hang in there. Not that you're rats, of course, but uh, stay with me today. And let's let's go through some tips. These are simple self-coaching tips that that could awaken in you a, a, a kind of different perspective and a different way to both perceive your life and live your life. But, you know, be, before I get into that. And I wanted to mention, uh, I've often thought about the, the term or the title I use, self-coaching, in the books I write. And, and I think for a lot of people, they may confuse it more with, with a coaching kind of program. And although it is a coaching program, uh, the emphasis should be on the self part of the coaching. And, and it's much more than just, just about coaching you, because coaching is that motivational aspect you know, teaching you to go ahead and, and muster up the energy to handle life in a productive way. But it's also about the psychology. And this is, this is the main reason why self-coaching is different from other forms of coaching, because it really is the melding of psychology and specifically a, a cognitive behavioral form of self-college, self-college, <laughs> a, a behavioral form of psychology with uh, coaching and also with neuroplasticity. I, I often uh, use like the image of a three-legged three stool and each of the legs are an important component in self-coaching, the, the um, coaching, the psychology and the neuroplasticity aspect. And neuroplasticity, it sounds very uh, intimidating, but essentially it's the fact that what we learn changes our brain, literally changes the brain's anatomy. So whether you're stuck and mired in various kind of uh, disappointing modes of life, your brain is like any other muscle. With the proper conditioning, with the proper understanding, uh, you can change not only your mind and your mindset, but the habit loops that just are part of the neural aspect of your brain. So self-coaching is a way to really implement a true, you know, evolution within you and your life, uh, both mentally, physically, and perhaps even spiritually, listening to Lauren's uh, exposés on, on various uh, uh, spiritual, grateful, mindfulness stuff. 
I call it stuff because she's still indoctrinating me in all of this. But it's starting to happen. I have to admit, she's she's having an effect on me. But but we'll get back to that with her next week. So for today, you know, I'm just going to go through some self-coaching tips, things that you you might find enliven and enrich your life. And if not, uh, I apologize because you know it's hard without Lauren. Lauren, I've become so dependent on bouncing things off of her and hearing her questions and the, the dialogue that goes back and forth. So, so bear with me today. Do not abandon. Hang in there. And uh, hopefully you'll get something really useful out of today's talk. And that would be my, my goal. So uh, let's start off with uh, the concept that today, whatever your day is going to be, it's all up to you. What kind of day you have. It's not up to the circumstances in your life. It's not up to serendipity. It's really up to you because we interpret the moments in our life. We interpret the circumstances in our life and we react to those circumstances. How you react is what determines the quality of your day. So starting today, regardless of what goes on around you, I'd like you to try to recognize that you alone are making the decisions, what kind of day it's going to be. You know, you know the expression, if your glass is half empty, half full, well, according to self-coaching, you know, if your glass feels half empty, well, fill it up. But more practically, start focusing not on the negatives of your life. Begin to focus on what's good about your life. Now, that's called active thinking or an active consciousness, because we can fall prey to a kind of passivity where we allow ourselves to just kind of fall into the rut of negativity without even realizing it. And our mood starts to then become compromised as we begin to slide down that slope. So one of the things you need to do today is you need to realize, well, you need to become more conscious. You need to become conscious when you're beginning to slide into negative directions, when you start to feel and hear those negative thoughts you have a choice. You literally have a choice. You know, I often come to a, a mantra, one of my favorite mantras, stop it, drop it. It's a simple mantra, but it grabs your attention. And sometimes when you're off, you know, on this, this long kind of uh, adventure with negativity, just grab yourself, stop it, drop it, and change the venue, change the thoughts start thinking about something more positive. Now, it sounds very simplistic. I understand that, but it is also very effective. See, a lot of people just don't realize how much power they have. You know, we've become so victimized and passive with our thinking that we don't really believe or know or understand that our thoughts are dependent on our conscious orientation. If we allow thoughts to just flow down a negative stream and we become part of that stream, well, then we are part of the negativity and we begin to suffer. And this is, this is where moods come from, anxiety, depression, because we have now become identified with the negativity in our lives. So if your glass is half empty, fill it up. And you do that by actively taking charge of your thoughts. So catch yourself. And how do you catch yourself when you're involved in those negatives, the doubts, the fears, those negativity kind of spirals? Well, you, you feel it. You know, these things have an impact. 
they're visceral. You, you feel tension rising. You feel that blood pressure surge and you feel the tightness in your gut. Well, become alert when those things begin to happen. You know, ask yourself, where's my head at? You know, am I sitting back just allowing these thoughts to contribute to my demise or, or do I stop it and drop it? Well, beginning right now, I'd like you to begin to realize it's as simple as that. Uh, once you understand that you're being too passive, you get it up in the driver's seat, grab that wheel and take an active participation in your life and in your thoughts. Stop it, drop it. Don't, don't, don't forget that mantra. It really does work. And while you're at it, this is a good time to kind of whatever you're doing today is to connect rather than disconnect. You know, we, we tend to we tend to get mired in the boredom of our lives. And, and, you know, in between all the stimulating things that happen and the adventurous things that happen in our life, mostly most of life is tends to be mundane. And especially if, if you happen to have a job that you find boring or difficult or anxiety producing or depressing, you know, it's it's oftentimes the case that we are disconnected and we've allowed boredom to come into play. And then we, we just are forcing ourselves mechanically to do things that we're disconnected from. There's no enthusiasm. Uh, I remember my father used to tell me, you know, if you're going to be a bean counter, be the best bean counter you can be. So regardless of the task or the job that you may have, practice at least actively trying to connect rather than allowing yourself to disconnect and to drift into boredom. Now, boredom is a stressful emotion. People don't realize that boredom is an emotion. It certainly is. And it is very stressful. Boredom can just generate anxiety and depression. But most importantly, you need to value how important it is to embrace your efforts. This is the key because by, by becoming the best bean counter you can become, what happens is that you start to find more meaning in the life you have. If you know, I always like to think that everything you do is a manifestation of you. And I've had many, many jobs in my life. And going through school, most of them have been mundane, digging ditches kind of stuff. And I remember for me that even at a younger age, that I would embrace the effort, uh, whether it was digging a ditch or shoveling snow, I wanted it to be an expression of me. I wanted to do a good job. And I think doing a good job has some, some real value to it because by, by taking pride in what you do, whatever it is, it, it kind of connects you to what you're doing. So connect rather than disconnect. You know, I think of uh, St. Francis of Assisi, who uh, one day he was hoeing his garden. And, and his neighbor came up and asked, you know, if you were to die at sunset today, what, what would you do right now? And St. Francis replied, I'd finish hoeing my garden. You see, St. Francis was connected. And there was no past. There was no future. There was just the garden. And let me give you one more Zen story that, that, really, that really typifies this. It, it's, it's probably one of my all-time long-standing favorites. I know I have lots of favorites. But this one in particular. So we have a little monk that's walking down uh, the street. No, he's walking along a cliff. There was no street. He's walking along a cliff. And a tiger comes running down the same path towards him. 
So the the monk sees a vine growing out of the side of the cliff, and he and he jumps over the side and he grabs onto the vine. So now he's hanging onto the vine, and the tiger's up above, swooping down, trying to get at him. And the monk is realizing that the the vine is beginning to come loose from the side of the cliff, and the tiger's up there grabbing at him and trying to get at him, and and just just prior to the vine snapping out of the cliff, the monk sees a really large, ripe red strawberry just growing right there in front of him. And the very last words that that monk said just prior to falling to his death were, this is a magnificent red strawberry. I think I'll eat it. And then, (laughs) and he fell. Now, I know you're probably thinking, what the heck? Oh, my God, that's a terrible story. It's not a terrible story. You see, for that monk, in that moment, there was only the ripe red strawberry. There was no tiger above. There was no crashing from that would come from below. There was only the ripe red strawberry. That monk was so connected to the now, to the moment. He was connected. He was not disconnected. And, and that's what's important right now is to realize that you can be connected, but you have to more or less not be somewhere else in your head. You, you have to be, as Lauren would, would tell us, you have to be in the now. You have to be present. And so when you're up against a task that you typically find to be not pleasant, ask yourself, you know, where's my head at? Am I thinking about what I'm going to do at three o'clock when I get off or five o'clock? Am I thinking about a vacation and just dreading how many more days I have of doing this task day by day by day? How about you realize that you can embrace the effort of doing a good job, a great job, a job that expresses who you are, taking pride in what you do. And I don't care if it's washing a dish or mopping a floor, do it with some self-pride. Invest yourself in what you do, and you're going to have a very different life. I know it's challenging to do that when you are dealing with arduous circumstances, but try it. Try it and see the difference. I guarantee you it will make a big difference in your life. So another tip that I I always kind of come to is compulsivity. You know, we are all, to some extent, compulsive in different things we do. And, you know, I guess the difference between compulsive, neurotic compulsivity, and, and maybe a more healthy compulsivity. Uh, for example, uh, I, I, I had a neighbor once who was very meticulous with his lawn. And, and he'd be out there plucking weeds, you know, one by one out of the lawn or little pieces of grass that weren't supposed to be there or leaves or whatever. And if you drove by and saw him on his knees there for hour after hour, you'd probably say, wow, there's a guy, he's got OCD. Uh, And certainly it's a compulsive kind of thing that he was doing. But the real question is what was driving that? You see, and that's the key. What, What drives the compulsive or the compulsivity? If it's a drive of control, that I have to control my life. And if this grass is not perfect, then I'm not perfect and I get anxious. And, you know, and people tend to over-control life. That's driven by insecurity. So the key is, is insecurity driving my compulsive ways. 
And if insecurity is driving it, then you are trying to over control life. So, so what about like Lauren and I often talk about the marathons that we've run. And anyone that, that has ever run a marathon knows how compulsive you have to train. Uh, getting up before the sun comes up and running five hours. Uh, you know, this is compulsive to anyone who is sitting on the sidelines. But what drives the compulsivity? Well, in our case, I speak for Lauren and myself, in our case, it was never about having to let insecurity drive that I have to run this marathon to prove that I'm okay. Or, you know, it wasn't insecurity. It was a form of self-expression and competence. It was enthusiasm. And it was all about a positive quest to more or less uh, prove to ourselves, you know, certain qualities that we felt were very valuable, but it was never about a neurotic need to control life. So if insecurity is driving your compulsivity, if it's a have to rather than a want to, my neighbor with the lawn or Lauren and I with the marathons, these were want to's. We never felt we had to. In fact, even during the, the height of my training, which, which begins six months prior to a marathon, if I had to miss a day because of a job or because of illness, you know, I was able to handle that. It wasn't like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Whereas with compulsivity, you oftentimes feel you don't have a choice and you are driven by such forces that the have-tos become almost literally have-tos. You don't have a choice. So start living your life with want-tos, not have-tos. You know, and, and I remember uh, when I was young, uh, younger, I was working on construction and one of the truck drivers, he was a know-it-all. And no matter what you said to him, you know, he, he knew it. And his name was Sam. And if you said to him, hey, Sam, your truck's leaking oil, he would say, I know it. I know it. So no matter what you said to him, he knew it. He, he, you know, he, just, he just had to be in that kind of compulsive control of everything. Or so he wanted everyone to believe that. One day he was driving home after a six-pack of beer from work. And the state trooper pulled him over and said, you're driving with your headlights off. Sam's response, I know it, I see better with him out. So, <laughs> so ask yourself, do you always have to be a know it? If so, recognize that it's okay not to have all the answers. You know, sometimes the answers have to find you. So you can be compulsive like Sam and have to believe that you need to know everything that you need to, whether it's knowing everything and being a know-it-all or whether it's controlling a conversation or being opinionated, you know, these can all become compulsive kind of stylistic habits. And you don't want to get into the trap of being a Sam. I know it because, you know, basically I remember an adage that always impressed me when it goes, when I was, when I was a teenager, I thought I knew all the answers. And now that I've grown up, I realize I don't even know the questions. So you see life, Life is really about relativity. I like to feel that when you, when you are truly in a want-to place and you're striving, and again, like the marathon, it's very arduous, very demanding, and very compulsive, because you have to be, but it's driven by the right reasons. So eliminate the compulsivity that is driven by insecurity, self-doubt, vulnerability, over-controlling life, and start living your life more with want-tos rather than have tos. You know, and along with this line, you know, 
it, it's really important to stop thinking that there's anything wrong with you. You know, just because, you know, we were just talking about compulsivity, but sometimes, you know, you, you look at yourself and you say, oh God, I'm, I'm, I'm just so compulsive or I'm so neurotic or I'm this or I'm that. Sometimes it's, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just be happy? You know, he's always looking for, you know, something that's wrong with you. So for starters, realize that there's nothing wrong with you. Well, nothing that you can't fix. You see, so you have to you have to look at who you are, the core. You know, that's inviolate. And, you know, from the Latin, uh, you know, that, that means that there, something that's inviolate is something that can't be defiled. There is that in you which can't be defiled. So when you say there's something wrong with you, you know, you are defiling yourself. You know, I feel that's an insult to your maker. There's nothing wrong with you. The manifestations, it's like an overcoat that you put on on top of things. The manifestations of things that you might point at as being wrong with you, well, these, these are more or less affectations. They're not you. You know, there's an old proverb that it's not the horse that draws the cart, but the oats. You know, when it comes to a happy, successful life, what draws you forward is what you feed your mind. So what do you think happens when you feed your mind a constant diet of doubts, fears, negatives? What do you think happens? Well, rather than being drawn forward, you become paralyzed by insecurities, inertia. So if you truly want to be happy, if, if that's really your goal, as I feel it should be, then you need to become more responsible for what you feed your mind, your oats. And it all begins with a critical awareness as you start to neutralize insecurities chatter. And once you do this, once you start to kind of get in touch with just not being passive about your own thoughts and not being passive about allowing these thoughts to ruminate and go on and on and on, then one thought at a time as you grab yourself, remember the stop it, drop it, you gradually begin cultivating a more positive outlook. And just because embracing a more positive outlook it may feel unnatural at first, and it may, this doesn't mean it can't become natural. So why is that? Well, because feelings aren't facts. They really aren't. So because you feel you can't embrace yourself, love yourself, recognize that that's what you feel. And feelings are not facts. So you want another fact? You aren't made to be miserable. And that's a fact. I'm telling you the truth. You know, there are three self-coaching facts of life. Talking about facts. Number one, you can't change the past. Now, many have tried and many have failed. Number two, you can't control the future. Many have tried and many have failed. And the third self-coaching fact of life, you can change the present. Those who have tried have profited. Try, profit. You can do that. So you can't change the past. You can't control the future. But you darn well can control the present. And when you start feeling more in control, in a positive way, not over-controlling, you feel more empowered. 
So regardless of your current belief or struggle, you know, what I'd like you to, what I'd like to suggest is periodically during the day, today, practice allowing yourself to believe that you already possess everything you need to be happy. Remember, we have that core. You have everything you need to be happy and liberated. Just permit yourself to relax and accept this fundamental notion, even if it's only for a few seconds. Don't allow yourself to fight it. You can expect a struggle from your habit loop of insecurity, but for now, accept it as if it's true. You see, the important thing in this drill is to begin feeling what it's like to be empowered and not victimized by life. So as you progress with self-coaching, you might be surprised at the lasting changes in your mood and in your life. So remember, regardless of your current belief or struggle, try to embrace the fact, the simple fact, and I'll even go as far as to say the simple truth. There's just nothing wrong with you. Embrace it. And you know, in order, in order to embrace life and have a more successful, happy life, you do have to accept the fact that what goes through your noggin, that's, that's your brain, Lauren. If you're listening to this podcast, noggin is another word for brain. And the thoughts that go through your brain matter big time. So you really need to know that thoughts are so important. They actually change our chemistry. They change our physiology. They change your brain anatomy. You know, we have a very uh, acute balance It's in our brain. You know, those neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine. These are the balancing chemicals, the balancing emotional chemicals in our brain. And if we keep we keep ourselves balanced in our thoughts and we you know kind of do the stop it drop it and we don't let ourselves just flow down that, that hill with negativity and, and fears and all of that if we keep that balance our brain is able to make adjustments to the the daily challenges that come and go it's called homeostasis and the brain is able to balance itself but when you get really mired in a life of negative thinking uh, pessimistic thinking, fearful thinking. Well, what happens is that it's like a bucket with those chemicals in it, and you're poking holes in the bottom of the bucket, and these valuable balancing chemicals are dripping out, you know, drip, drip, drip. And what happens is we create imbalances. And by creating imbalances, the rate of which you are depleting your chemistry is such that our homeostatic mechanisms, our balancing mechanisms can't catch up. So we can't maintain that balance anymore. And we feel down, depressed, anxious, which is also why medication works. You see, since, since we are creating more stress and duress and depleting ourselves more quickly than we are able to naturally balance ourselves, then of course the medication slows down that absorption so that, so that artificially we can maintain balance. This is why medication works. But you know, if you're not inclined to want to go down the route of medication or if you're on medication and you wanna kind of minimize how much you're on or even one day eliminate medication, then we need to get at the motor. You know, what's creating the holes in the bottom of the bucket? What's creating that which is depleting you and creating the imbalance to such an extent that we can't replenish and restore our homeostasis.
So thoughts do matter. Take responsibility for your thoughts. And that's another thing I'd like you to do today. Take responsibility for what's going through your mind. You know, and, you know, we do this one thought at a time. Just be patient with yourself. Stop dancing with negativity. Choose to reject insecurity-driven thinking. Now, you can't, you can't be watching your thoughts 24-7. I realize that. But remember what we said a little earlier. Whenever you start to feel those visceral feelings of discomfort, those are the thoughts you want to get in touch with. And if those are the thoughts that are causing the insecurity to kind of just bring you to your knees, then those are the thoughts you need to stop and drop. And, you know, I keep talking about insecurity, but what you should know is that insecurity is not a fact of life. You know, most people confuse vulnerability with insecurity. And the difference is simple, but it's crucial. You see, for starters, vulnerability is a fact of life. You know, protecting yourself from vulnerability makes sense. You know, and that's why you buckle your seatbelt or take vitamins and, and why you learn to say no, because, you know, we're just trying to protect ourselves in a healthy way. The problem with insecurity isn't the seatbelt, the vitamins, or the assertiveness. It's the worrisome anticipation of things going awry, a car accident, an illness, or being victimized by others. You see, it's anticipating what could go wrong in life and then worrying about it. It's like wearing a belt because you're worried your suspenders might break. So here's the key. Insecurity was learned. It's a habit. And habits, all habits can be broken. So what's important is to risk trusting your suspenders. <laughs> but but the, the takeaway from this I'd like you to understand is that, yeah, we're vulnerable creatures. We don't have claws to protect ourselves or wings to fly away from adversity. Yeah, okay, so there's a normal, healthy response to life's challenges. But it's the insecurity that drives the concern about things that may or may not happen. You know, it's like Mark Twain said, I've worried about many things in my life, most of which have never happened. So insecurity drives that anticipatory self-doubt. And what's at the bottom of self-doubt? What's the motor behind self-doubt? Well, it's self-distrust. You know, and this is a big, a big factor in all of my self-coaching writings. And that's the fact that when there is self-distrust, we have to rely on trying to intellectually control life. And sometimes we do that through avoiding. Sometimes we do it through worrying. Sometimes we do it through hostility, which pushes people away. But you see, without self-trust, we have to rely on controlling mechanisms. We have to control life. Since we don't trust ourselves to handle life, the difference is that the person with self-trust, they don't have to over-control life. They don't have to worry because the person with self-trust says, hey, whatever comes around that corner, I'll handle it. I've, you know, I've handled many, many things in my life. Why would this be any different? I trust my resourcefulness. You see, and that's the difference. The neurotic person does not trust. Okay, so be, be leery of your thoughts. And that's kind of, I guess, the theme that I'm getting at today is be leery of your thoughts. And what kind of thoughts are you accumulating today? You know, like I said, you can't be aware of every single thought. 
you know, and, and certainly one thought isn't going to make a difference in your mental well-being, but ruminative, negative thinking, you know, it has a cumulative mind-body effect, and it depletes you both emotionally as well as chemically. And eventually, these thoughts accumulate, contributing to anxiety or depression. Now, the opposite is equally true. Optimistic, positive thinking is also cumulative. And it will begin to erode your habit loop of insecurity. So the biggest takeaway from today is the realization that essentially thoughts matter. Thoughts are cumulative. And if they are moving in a negative direction, then those thoughts will start to create imbalances, physical distress, emotional distress, psychic distress. And since, since these are thoughts that can be resisted and stopped, then you have to realize that your life really is in your control. As out of control as life becomes when challenged from time to time, remember that the self-trust is the key. The more you back off and realize, I'll handle this, relax, stop and drop the negativity, stop and drop the fear, the doubts, you'll handle it. Now, you want proof of that? Okay, here you go. You ready? You're listening to this podcast. Okay, what does that mean? Well, how many, how many fights have you fought? How many problems have you solved? You're here. You've gotten to this point. You've solved every problem. You know, maybe you've gotten around it, under it. However you did, you managed to get to this point, And you're still alive. You're still here. And this is what is important for you to understand. As long as you are in the now with some self-trust, whatever life throws at you, you know, you can come back at it with resiliency and conviction. I always remember uh, I was in a cemetery and I was looking at the, uh, the tombstones. I don't do this often, so <laughs> it's not my, my daily outing, but, but I remember looking at some of the tombstones and just kind of not thinking per se, but it dawned on me that I was looking at maybe a, a birth date of 1920 and an end date of say 1960. And always there was a dash between those two dates, 1920-1960. And it occurred to me that, you know, the birth date and the end date weren't really that important. What was important were, was the dash years, that which happened in between the birth and the end. You are listening to this podcast, so you are in your dash years, and you are in your dash day and moment right now. So I, I implore you, uh, take charge of that moment. Uh, it's your life. We only go around one time. It's not a dress rehearsal. Use those dash years to your advantage. And you know, don't give up on it. Don't be victimized. You're not helpless. You're not powerless. You really aren't. So it's up to you to find the power, to empower yourself, to generate the energy necessary to stop and drop insecurity-driven thinking, to rebalance yourself, and to come out of all of this with a happy, more successful life. All righty. And... 
now I'd like to uh, bring my solo podcast to an end and just ask you to visit our website, selfcoaching.net. That's selfcoaching.net, <laughs> where you can learn more about our self, self-coaching philosophy. And while you're there, check out my latest number one selling book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, where you'll learn about psychology, coaching, and neuroplasticity. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle, it's not an option. By definition, victims are powerless and you are not powerless. So remember, everything is hard until you make it simple. So join Lauren, who promises she'll be here next week in me, every week. And let's make it simple together. Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart.